just like the river I've been running ever since. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. It's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die. Cause I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. To be or not to be, you are bright learning students, learning life important keys. Tools you can use right now to create a wonderful destiny. You can choose to be big or you can choose to be small. Remember it is all up to you to use your talent of life call. A call that no one else knows unless you are aware of your inner self. You must be interested in something greater than you. If not, life will sit you on the shelf. Open your mind, little ones, and treat your mind like a flourishing tree. Always feed it with precious wisdom, for only then will you express what you were meant to be. But lastly, I submit to every spirit collected as we move into the next millennium. Expect the unexpected. Stay tuned for Kathy's Corner at WPKN 89.5 FM. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Kathy, Kathy's Corner. And we just heard as an introduction to the show today, an amazing song that I felt was appropriate for our topic. Uh, it's a classic Sam Cooke song, um, Change Gonna Come, followed by a poem by one of our local uh, artists and poets, Anne Dubois. The poem is called To Be or Not To Be. And Anne is a local poet. She's from Bridgeport and one of my students. So she's a very special person, and I'm happy to showcase one of her poems. So again, my name is Kathy Connor, and you're listening to Kathy's Corner on WPKN 89.5 FM and streaming online at WPKN.org. And also podcasts are available on SoundCloud slash WPKN Community Radio. So it's always my pleasure to share with you nearly 50 years of learning and experience in the field of consciousness and the knowledge how to unfold more of its value from within the mind. I'm the director of the Transcendental Meditation Program in Fairfield County, Connecticut. And TM, for short, is a specific form of meditation that regularly and systematically provides the experience of the inner value of life, direct contact with the finer fields of the mind, in order to unfold the qualities of a higher state of consciousness. It's like clearing the fog off the mirror because it's already there, or moving the clouds that are blocking the sun. So if you've heard the show, you know the theme is always related to unfolding the inner potential of our individual life for a more successful outer life. And if you're finding us for the first time, then welcome. And so in each show, just to give you an idea of what we do here, I emphasize that there are two values of life. There's the inner, there's the outer. The outer, the active world, we know very well. Especially now, we can Google anything we want and you'll get just pages of information. Most of it you probably didn't even want. Um, there's an expert for anything you can think of. It's the inner that we want, really, we need to know better. It's in the inner, in consciousness, at deeper values, where we find deepest peace, inner peace. And today, what we want to talk about, what we want to discuss, is how this inner peace contributes to peace in the outer life. We all would like peace, personal peace, world peace, and both prospects may seem like a distant goal, we see high levels of anxiety and depression for the individual, and sadly, we're also seeing an increase in violence in our society. Since 2007, there have been more than 300 active shootings in our country, which I learned was 57% more 
than all the industrial nations combined. So these, these are challenging times for our hearts, as we've seen devastation in the Ukraine and our deepest heartbreak in Uvalde, Texas. And this is not our first time with this heartbreak. And some government leaders blame specific reasons, like from mental health to the number of doors in our institutions. But if we look at the problem on the level of the problem, what is actually changing? The expression, only a new seed can produce a new crop, applies now, and it applies urgently. There must be a new solution to these problems because what has been done in the past, same thing, different day, has not been effective. So today, it's my very great pleasure to have as our guest an expert in the discussion of consciousness and how understanding, and more importantly, awakening this most fundamental level of life, will bring more light into the individual and the collective consciousness. So my guest today is Dr. Candace Badgett. To introduce Candace, <clears throat> I want to tell you a little bit about her. She's an international director of the Women's Wing of the Transcendental Meditation Organization called the Global Mother Divine Organization. She has specific oversight in the U.S., Canada, and Australia, and in this capacity, she also provides advanced programs for women who practice the TM technique. <clears throat> and this is a very special um, aspect of Candace. In 1990, so we're going back some time now, Candace and her husband, Rogers Badgett, they built a 36,000-square-foot health facility called the Raj. It's located in Fairfield, Iowa, and it's pioneering the use of Ayurvedic medicine in North America. It was one of the first of its kind in North America. They are the owners and operators of this facility, as well as international consultants in the field of Marshi Ayurveda. And as an international speaker, Candace speaks regularly on the topics of Ayurveda, Vedic science, higher states of consciousness, women's health, women's path to spiritual fulfillment, and the empowerment of women, and our role in bringing a new time of peace and prosperity for all mankind. So we are so fortunate that Candace has the time to speak to us today. So Candace, welcome. Are you on the line? I am. Thank you, Kathy, for that very generous introduction. And I'm very happy to be connected with you. I really appreciate what you're doing with your with your radio show. It's wonderful. Oh, well, thank you. I, this is an amazing station. And it's not a public or a community, it's a community radio station, so they mm. can have some avant-garde uh, shows like mine, <laughs> which <laughs> the topic is spiritual development, really, but the theme is always consciousness. And I wanted to unpack some of this because it's quite a lot to talk about in a short time, but I'm going to start with a basic question for you, and then you can just take mm -hmm. it from there. Um, okay. How can enlivening consciousness for the individual affect the quality of life for all of us in a positive direction so that we can uh, avoid these kinds of tragedies that have been happening in our world? Well, it, it's a great question, and it's a very interesting principle that we can look at here. And that principle is something that quantum physics has really begun to reveal and as a result of that, we're really on the verge of a new paradigm. And that is appreciating the fact that uh, even in the academic circles today, this is a huge conversation going on right now about consciousness. And how is consciousness produced? In other words, does the brain produce consciousness or does consciousness ultimately produce physical matter? Which comes first? Is it intelligence is primary and matter is secondary? Or is it that matter is primary and intelligence evolves from matter? And uh, the former paradigm is a very materialistic paradigm in that it acknowledges um, matter as, as primary. Everyone seems to assume that consciousness gets produced from the brain, but the reality is, or we could say a very predominant theory that's gaining a lot of traction today, is the fact that there is an underlying field of intelligence, and our brain is like an antenna 
that tunes into it. And what this implies is that there is an underlying field of consciousness. And that when human awareness settles down and transcends the thinking process, because the thinking process is what makes up our individuality. But when we look at our identity, we have our individual identity, but we have our universal identity as well. And that's that reality that transcends the thinking process altogether. It's that field of pure wakefulness. And when in Transcendental Meditation, we allow ourselves to experience that underlying field of our own universal identity, our unbounded field of eternal creativity and intelligence. This technique allows the mind to open to that field. And that experience is simply an experience of being aware of awareness itself. So there's no boundary to that field. Now, what's so fascinating, and this is what's being now contemplated on the ground of the understanding of the quantum unified field of physics, there's an appreciation that this underlying field of intelligence that gives rise to all the force and matter fields that then structure the entire universe, that this is synonymous with this transcendental field of pure consciousness at the basis of everyone's thinking process. Now, the implications of this are huge, because what it means is that human beings can open their awareness to that field of intelligence that governs the entire universe. So, (laughs) there's incredible potential in the human brain that it has the opportunity to open to this underlying field of cosmic intelligence and then integrate those properties of intelligence and creativity and expansion into human awareness, which means that human beings ultimately have enough intelligence, enough creativity to solve every problem mm-hmm. that mankind faces. Oh, well, that's a very profound thing to say. <laughs> and I think if we, we're diving into this very statement, and it's, and it's inspiring to me because we can solve these problems ourselves because we created them. We can also solve them, but we're going in a new direction for that. Exactly. Excuse me, I have to have a sip of water here. Yeah, the point I made earlier about a new seed, and I think this is the time when we need to consider things that maybe in the past might have, we thought, oh, how can that work? But I'm happy you're here to explain it to us already. It sounds fascinating that we can, and not just from the intellect, but we can solve these problems that are rampant across our world today. Well, there's a very interesting and specific means by which we can not only prove this hypothesis and have proven this hypothesis, and that is that there is a collective consciousness that we're all connected to, and a collective field that we can all open our awareness to Mm. that collective field. And by allowing our individual mind to open to or touch upon that collective field of universal intelligence, we enliven that field, and that has direct implications for transforming the quality of life on Earth. Mm. Now, this sounds like a bit of a utopian dream, because literally, with enough people opening their awareness to this universal field of pure consciousness or pure intelligence, we can literally transform life on earth and literally in a matter of months. So I know this sounds so fantastic, but excuse me, it has actually been proven. It has been experimentally proven and proven to such a degree of statistical significance 
that it can't be denied. And the fact that nobody knows about this is really astounding. So it's important that we have these discussions and we get this information out. Yes, it's really the whole purpose of the show is just to enliven the understanding that there is this field of life that we're not addressing, but we should be if we want change to happen in a significant, positive evolutionary direction. Exactly. And I, what I'd like to do for your listening audience is I'd like to just to give a little bit of an overview on the research that's been done, because it's very important that everyone understands that this is now an indisputable fact. And <clears throat> this technology, we refer to it as the Marishi effect, because Marishi is the founder, and he found this referred to in, in the Vedic literature. Transcendental meditation comes from the Vedic tradition of India. And there in the Vedic texts, there is a reference to this ability of large groups to enliven this underlying field of consciousness. So Maharishi decided to put this (laughs) to the test, and it was back in the early 1980s, in 1983, I think it was, that the first scientific experiment testing the effect of the group practice, and this was group practice of the TM and the TM City program, which is an advanced program uh, to the, to the, of the TM program. So we tested the effect of the group practice of the TM and TM City program on reducing warfare and war deaths. And this experiment took place in Jerusalem. Again, this was in 1983, with the intention of having an influence in quelling the civil war that was raging in Lebanon at that time. And it was fascinating because when a large group of the TM City meditators gathered in Jerusalem to practice their meditation, there was a remarkable correlation. On the day when the number of those practicing their meditation together was high, the progress towards peace in the Middle East was very high, very significant. Violence dropped and stayed low for as long as the group was able to continue to gather for group meditation. And the final data revealed that whenever the group of the TM City practitioners assembled, there was an average of a 76% reduction in war deaths. Now, here's the really interesting part of the story. So, once the study was completed, it was submitted for publication in the most prestigious, relevant scientific journal, and that's the Journal of Conflict Resolution, and this journal is affiliated with Yale University. But because the basic premise (laughs) of this experiment was so novel, really almost to be unbelievable, the study was subjected to an exceptionally long and arduous process of peer review before it was published. It was held to a standard of scientific rigor far beyond what is required by any scientific journal. And yet, the study on the Marichi effect was unassailable. And so the study was finally published. But the journal's editors, they felt compelled to include an editorial in which they stated that because the results were rather shocking, I mean, the fact that the behavior of a few hundred people could influence the behavior of more than a million people, just turning off violence of war, like turning off a light switch, the editors said that they would need to see the study replicated in order to be able to embrace this hypothesis. So because the implications of the study were so enormous, that the Yale Journal's conflict of, of resolution, they called on other scientific groups to repeat the study. So in response to that request, there were seven repetitions of the experiment over a period of almost two and a half years 
involving large groups of up to 8,000 practitioners of Transcendental Meditation and its advanced program. And here is the amazing thing. Every single one of those studies was equally statistically significant. Every bit of data in each of those studies was subjected to rigorous analysis. And every one of those studies was publishable. And when all the results of the seven studies were analyzed together, and this is referred to as a meta-analysis, this is where it gets really interesting. The result was nothing less than extraordinary. There was a 71% reduction in war deaths averaged over all these trials. And the likelihood that this could have been caused by something other than the Marishi effect came out to be less than one in 10 million trillion. <laughs> less than one in 10 million trillion. Now, this is referred to as a P factor. And in scientific research, when you have a P factor of one in 100, it's significant and publishable. And when you have a P factor of one in 1,000, that is considered an, ex- an extraordinarily successful study. When you have one in 10 million trillion, this is an order of magnitude beyond anything that has ever been t- tested in the world of social science. It sounds like anywhere, it's ever. off the charts. <laughs> it, it, it's, in other words, this means that this technology for establishing world peace, it is an indisputable Mm -hmm. fact. It's not a hypothesis. It's not a theory. It is an indisputable Mm -hmm. fact. But, you know, I'm listening to what you're saying, Candace, and I'm remembering um, history, and it's pretty (laughs) typical that when there's a major shift in our understanding of how nature functions that there's a huge resistance to that. So you remember the story of Galileo, and uh, he, he, was, he didn't do very well when he explained that maybe we weren't the center of the universe. <laughs> it's a really good point, Kathy, and in fact, it's a really great story. It's very parallel, actually, to this moment in time in terms of the paradigm shift that we're about to see, and it's going to take a little while for everyone to grasp what what this paradigm shift is all about. But back in the late 1800s, there was a debate whether the military should continue investing in homing pigeons to send messages, or if the military should invest in the newly discovered radio technology. And at that time, they decided to continue funding homing pigeons because most people could not imagine that messages could really be sent invisibly through the air. <laughs> and this, this is exactly the same kind of challenge we face today. The world is on the verge of a paradigm shift, much in the same way it was back in the 1800s, before the public understood the science and applied technology of the electromagnetic field, which is what radio technology mm. is based on. Now, today... It's the knowledge of the, of the quantum field of physics and combined with the vast, the, the knowledge of the potential of human consciousness, which is absolutely enormous. So these two things together, this knowledge of the quantum field of physics and this understanding of the incredible potential of human consciousness, these two things are now offering the world the most dramatic paradigm shift that civilization has ever known. It is so, inspiring. <laughs> you know, Margaret Mead, the anthropologist Margaret Mead, she, she, there's a wonderful quote by her. She said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Mm. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Wow. So there's a big growing community in the world right now that understands consciousness and the huge potential of human consciousness, how to fathom the full depth of our mind, how to utilize 
technologies like the TM technique to open up human potential. And there's a big group. There's a group at Princeton studying the field effect of consciousness right now. There are a lot of people who are very clued into this and uh, said the academic world is now riveted on the topic of consciousness. There are a lot of conflicting theories on it, but um, they they are riveted uh, on this subject now. And um, and so it's it's going to break through. And pretty soon, these simple technologies like the Maishi effect, the implications for the positive change in quality of life, it's so thrilling. It, it, it's... It's beyond most people's imagination what kind of life we we could live on Earth, and will, and we will. Well, you know, what's interesting is, you know, from my perspective, because I teach a meditation technique and the TM technique particularly, I've been noticing how it's grown more and more in the world, and especially in the U.S., that I've noticed an interest in meditation in general. And Mm. there are a lot of people who realize that handling life on just one level isn't cutting it. They're realizing that, yes, I'm anxious, yes, this, yes, I'm going to therapy, yes, I'm taking medications, all have some good effect, but they are recognizing that there must be something more because they are noticing that it's only taking them so far. So oftentimes, I'll meet a student who'll say, yes, I've done things and I'm looking into meditation to improve my life. And I'm just so happy that they are looking in that direction. And they tend to come to TM when they realize that this is a deeper form of understanding of this field of consciousness. It isn't just to get by and feel better, which can happen, that would be a nice side effect. But it's more importantly, this point you're making is to unfold an incredible potential that's already there but it's been blocked right. and, and unseen. We don't learn about the value of consciousness in our cultures, so we right. have to find it on our own. Yeah, it's, it's a really profound point. You know, the other thing that's going on right now is uh, incredible insights into the potential of the brain. And neurologists, they're just beginning to realize that there are millions of brain cells that they don't even know what their function is. And the other fascinating thing is that it's pretty much acknowledged that no matter how much everyone is learning about the brain, no matter how much they begin to understand what certain brain cells do and other brain cells do, no matter how much they know, it will never explain how a thought to raise your arm can allow your arm to move up. <laughs> In other words, how intelligence governs matter it is just still what they call the hard problem of consciousness. But when we appreciate that it's because our whole scientific inquiry is based on a paradigm that doesn't work, which puts matter as primary oh, yeah. and intelligence as secondary, um, that's where the, the the problem is. And when you reverse it, then the the problem of consciousness is no longer a hard problem. And just to give an example, I remember years ago reading a editorial in Newsweek magazine, and it was about the Hubble telescope and what they had discovered with the Hubble telescope. It was many years ago. And they quoted some some philosophers based on all the information they're gathering. They said, the fact that some amoeba could evolve over millions of years and eventually write a Shakespeare sonnet, they said, it's slightly less probable <laughs> then there is an underlying intelligence that is giving rise to all of creation. And and another physicist was talking about the fact that the probability, again, that, you know, some amoeba could evolve and ultimately write a Shakespeare sonnet. Again, they said it's the same probability as if you blew up Los Angeles 
and all the pieces fell back to earth in the form of a Boeing 747. And again, it weights probability on the side that there is an underlying intelligence that gives rise to the extraordinary order that we see and creativity and intelligence we see expressed in the universe around us. I mean, the fact that you can predict where Venus will be in the sky in a hundred million years from now, you know, it's just an extraordinary amount, how a plant photosynthesizes energy from the sun. I mean, you just, how the brain functions, the brain is the most extraordinary aspect in creation. And you begin to realize what's there in human potential. We've barely scratched Mm -hmm. the surface. Yeah. So, you know, I think we have, I mean, we have to be careful. And this is the other wonderful aspect of allowing our individual mind to open to cosmic intelligence and to, you could say, align ourselves with the laws of nature, the intelligence of nature. That saves us from going off track. You know, we don't know what we're doing with genetically engineered food, what's going to be the impact in the long run. We don't know with artificial intelligence if we go off in certain directions, how dangerous that may end up being. You know, our whole knowledge of nuclear power. What did we do? We ended up creating a bomb that can destroy life on Earth. So it's very important that human intelligence in its limited capacity isn't so arrogant that they think that they can just manipulate laws of nature. It's better that human awareness is Human awareness opens to the field of cosmic intelligence and aligns itself with the intelligence and creativity of natural law, of the laws of nature. And we, we co-create, we create in accord with the laws of nature and create a beautiful life on Earth. Well, I think what you just said is one of the most profound points we're making today is that if we want to make a change in our world, we'll have to see it from a different point of view. And if we have limited awareness, and even our scientific community, as intelligent as it may be, without consciousness, has limited awareness, and so there'll be limited things. You know, it's it's like anything. If you don't understand the whole story and you're just working with the parts, you can make a lot of mistakes in that regard. So the point is, we want to make a change. We want to make a profound change. And we see it all over the news. People aren't happy with this decision or that decision. They go and they protest because they're saying, we don't like that. We want to make a change. We want to move in a direction where it's where we're living in respect and harmony and peacefulness and love for each other. And how do we do that without arguing and getting into the parts? You have to step out of that. And this is what you're describing is unfolding that potential, which is already there, but we do have to un- enliven it because we haven't learned how to enliven it. Yeah, that's so beautiful, Kathy. That's a great summary. And, uh, you know, and it's a twofold process. We have to remove the stress and the fatigue. I mean, it sounds very basic, but it's so true because it's what disconnects us from these deeper levels of our own intelligence. So, you know, we, we have to take our health and happiness back into our own, our own hands, and we need to get rid of the stress and the deep fatigue, everybody's exhausted, that interferes with our connection to these deeper levels of intelligence. And on the other hand, the other prong is we have to expand our conscious capacity. We have to enliven these deeper levels of consciousness and intelligence and creativity within us. There's such huge potential, and that literally comes from allowing the brain to function holistically, and that's what the research with Transcendental Transcendental Meditation has shown, that we actually um, enliven brainwave coherence, in which both sides of the brain and the back and the front, frontal lobes of the brain, they all begin to function in synchrony. So there's a brainwave synchrony from all these different areas of the brain. So it's very easy to measure all of this. This is not just based on a subjective experience. The the human body has its own, you could say, metabolic 
signature that correlates with different states of consciousness. So when we're asleep, the body has a certain metabolic signature. The brain has a certain brainwave signature. When we're dreaming, another signature. When we're just going about in daily activity, another style of functioning, another brainwave signature. And when we transcend the thinking process altogether, which is what we're culturing with transcendental meditation, when we open to our universal self, to that universal field of pure intelligence, the brainwave signature is extraordinary. So we're training the brain to function in its most optimal style of functioning. Mm -hmm. And in turn, the whole physiology begins to function more optimally. And this has huge implications for our whole overhauling our entire healthcare system because, again, we're putting consciousness, intelligence of the body first. That has to be enlivened first and foremost. And then there's so much, you know, natural healing ability in that body yeah. once that healing intelligence can begin to flow through the whole body. And it's all based on brain brainwave functioning. Yeah, so is- we can take this paradigm of consciousness, intelligence primary. And with that paradigm, we will, we will ultimately overhaul our entire medical system. We, were over, we will overhaul our entire educational system. We, were, we will overhaul our administrative systems. Really, this, this is going to be the basis for for the change we all want to see in this world. Yeah, very interesting point. I'm thinking of um, what I've been reading lately, that science, they're moving towards what they're calling a coherence effect Mm -hmm. in all these areas that you just mentioned. And, you know, it really comes down to basic things we already know. You know, if we want to improve something, then we go towards that thing that'll give us best health. Like, for example, naturally, we would prefer fresh foods over something that's decaying and moldy. I'm not going to eat that. <laughs> I'm not going to eat that strawberry. It's been sitting in the refrigerator for too long. So you, you make decisions anyway towards things that will create order in your physiology, and it's a natural thing. More and more, right. we're learning how important sleep state is, for example. I just saw something today on the news about how sleep can affect heart disease, and we've known for some time that sleep affects um, mental decline if you don't get enough. And, you know, so we're really aware that a state of consciousness affects the well-being. Now you're talking about another state of consciousness that's deeper in, in its rested state, yet alert at the same time. And that physiology is very orderly and coherent. In fact, you see alpha-1, which is a brainwave pattern that indicates high orderliness in the brain, coherence which is when the cells are firing at the same time in the same way. You know, you see more and more of that in that fourth state of consciousness, which when you're exposed to it with regularity, it stays with you into the day. So we're, we want to improve coherence in the brain, which will affect our decisions, which will affect the outcomes of our decisions. You can see how they are so connected uh, absolutely, absolutely. And then as we stabilize this fourth state of consciousness so that our brain is functioning optimally, then there's potential for even higher states of consciousness to, to be developed. And, uh, you know, you see this in so many indigenous traditions reference to these higher states of consciousness in so many spiritual traditions. And, you know, you read the great saints and mystics and the way they describe these extraordinary experiences, beautiful descriptions from Lao Tzu and, you know, great philosophers and sages that, you know, they, they had that ability to experiencing the experiences deeper levels of reality, and that's where you see the birthright of every human yeah. being. You know, it's understood that, oh, a few extraordinary people, but the reality is if we can just experience this fourth state of consciousness on a regular basis and culture the brain in functioning pro- properly and fully and culturing that resilience in the physiology as well, Human potential, as said before, it's extraordinary. And it's the birthright of every human being, not yeah. just a few. 
Yeah, I, I think that's the important point because we can sit and watch the news and think, what can I do? How can I change that? Uh, we can change that. We can change we can it. Change. We can change it even with our eyes closed. We can change it in a very profound way to experience that that quiet yet coherent value within our own awareness, our own consciousness. It becomes lively. It becomes part of us. It's not a hit or miss experience where you you'll have a story to say, "Oh, one day I felt good for a few minutes." <laughs> no, it's something right, that you, right. you integrate it into your day to day life. And when you're functioning that way, you are emitting that coherence into the environment. And that's something that can change the collective field. Yeah. And that's where the, the uh, experiments on the Marishi effect, you see, those experiments, they proved that there is an underlying field of collective consciousness. It was proven because that's how the effect was created. These people didn't do anything but close their eyes and allow their awareness to settle down to deeper levels of quietness, settledness, until the minds transcended the thinking process and experienced that pure field of consciousness, just being aware of awareness itself. And that means the mind has now touched the field of collective consciousness, of universal cosmic intelligence and when an individual mind touches it it stirs that field for everyone because everyone is connected to that field whether consciously or not so when you have a big huge group of a few thousand people that are transcending the thinking process at the same time it's creating such a stir in the collective consciousness it stirs those values of harmony and peace and evolution and progress in accord with the laws of nature, in accord with the whole process of evolution. So these experiments that, you know, the Yale Journal of Conflict Resolution had to publish, <laughs> as unbelievable as it seemed, the, the rigor of those experiments were undeniable. It was a scientific act. And therefore, you know, this kind of utopian dream that we're expressing today, it's not a dream. This paradigm has been proven. Intelligence is primary, matter is secondary, and we can utilize that paradigm to transform life on Earth. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking as you're talking that I'm very grateful for this younger generation because they're growing up in a time where this is automatic to them. You know, I, yes. I'll see a young child and they just instinctively know how to use technology, whereas I have to struggle and figure it out. So <laughs> I think that they're aware, they'll be more aware. We are too, as we're aging, but I think that we're seeing a new generation that's going to embrace this knowledge very easily because it's understood yeah. that the subtle <laughs> supports the gross. It's understood. I mean, almost everybody I know has a smartphone. <laughs> and so you'll ask that person, well, how does that work? Well, I don't know. I just press this button. No, no. How does it work? How is it that you're connecting to somebody in another country and you can see them and talk to them? How does it work? Well, it works because you're connecting to things that are unseen. You mentioned before about radio frequencies. I think this, right. this generation coming up is going to be more accepting that this this makes sense, that if you if you strengthen that core, you strengthen that hidden inner potential, it obviously affects the outer. And so I think, and, and we're embracing it more as adults and, and all that, but I think it might take a little time to see it on a much bigger scale. But even the point you made about you don't need a whole lot of people doing this in one place at the same time, ideally, you, you just need mm. a certain amount. And in physics, they'll call it um, critical mass number, and it's the square root of 1% if it's the advanced programs of the population. So you don't need a lot, but you do need that high level of order to permeate and create a strong influence in that field. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, when you realize how, how few people, when you look at the population of the world, it takes to create this, I mean, basically you need about a group of about 8,000 people on one side of the globe and a group of 8,000 
and they just need to be professional peacekeepers. This needs to be their profession. And uh, really, the amount of money that it costs to support a group like that, you know, it's it's less than a, a, bom- a, a bomber airplane, the latest technology to create a, bom- a you know, bomber airplane. It's it's really an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary way to. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, you know, we just have to um, keep sharing this information. And of course, we have many people who are uh, reaching out to philanthropists who have the financial wherewithal to create these groups. We're talking to people in government. There have been governments that have used this in the past. Incredible examples. Mozambique was going through a civil war and a drought many, many years ago. And the president at that time contacted the TM organization, had the military learn TM and become this peacekeeping group. And Within months, the Civil War was over, the rains came, it's all documented. And and that president became one of the most influential people in Africa to help other nations develop. But, you know, governments change and, and different people come into power for different reasons, not always so altruistically coming into power. And so, you know, it's just something where we just have to keep coming back yeah. and coming back. Uh, and informing people, and it will it will change. As said, you know, I know the U.S. Department of Defense is just is studying this phenomenon. I know that again at Princeton, there's a whole group studying the field effect. So it's you know the the, the people who need to know they're aware, and uh, the time will come. Yeah, this, I, I think it is. Be. I think it's happening now. It's just. If what you're what you're able to see, and we've got a ways to go, we're not sitting down on the job here. But you know, we, <laughs> I mean, literally, we are. But uh, <laughs> if we sit down and close our eyes, but it, it is a fascinating discussion, and I think, as you're saying, one that we need to just get out there on the airwaves, which is why I continue to do the show. You know, it, it, I'm not looking for a particular response. I just feel it's important that we're enlivening a kind of knowledge. That may not be something we've read about yet or heard about so much, but I think we can relate to it more. In this scientific age, especially, I will challenge someone. I'll say, are you using technology? Then you should understand this. This isn't that hard to understand. That's something you don't see, something that's more subtle. Yes, it does exist, and we know it exists. Now we're talking about human potential and human potential. Nature is nature, whether we're looking on the outside and watching an apple seed become an apple tree, or we're sitting down and contemplating, you know, what I'm going to have for dinner and how the brain is firing, it's still nature. And we're beginning to understand the profound layers of natural law that exists within our own self, with our own individuality. And the good news, the, the thing we wanted to really emphasize today is that, as, that there is a reciprocal effect. There's a reciprocal influence between the individual and the collective. And when when the individual rises in consciousness, then the collective consciousness also rises. And I think for those of us who, you know, get concerned about the conditions that are going on with things that happen sometimes, what can we do? What can we do? This is something to do, something profound to do. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's so beautiful. It's a technology that, you know, transforms your own life so dramatically. And at the same time, you're making a very significant contribution to the betterment of, of the world. So it's, it's great. It is great. And we have a couple minutes left. And I'd like to hear your final points. But one thing before we close, I, I would like you mentioned earlier that the TM technique comes from the Vedic tradition. And the Vedic tradition is also known to be the source of something a lot of people are aware of, and that's yoga. And right. and even in that system, it explains this technology. It explains that mm. in the vicinity of yoga, or union, or unity, that harmonious level of consciousness, that hostile tendencies are eliminated. It explains yeah. that in the Yoga Sutras. So this yes. is a tradition that knows this technology. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, it's there in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. Uh, that's where basically 
the the TM City program comes from that that particular text. Right, right. So it's right. about yoga. It's also about the TM City program, and that's the advanced technique we add to transcendental meditation to our transcendental meditation practice that really generates allows this collective influence for this influence that each individual generates um, to be particularly powerful. Yes, it's important to mention it has a tradition, it has a source. Somebody just didn't sit around and make this up. This is something that's That's been passed down for thousands of years, really, but whether or not it's been used. Um, In less than two minutes to go before we have to sign off, Candace. I just appreciate your time and your intelligence explaining these principles and these uh, interesting stories and the research. Um, do you have anything you'd like to say before we sign off? Um, I think that when I reflect on this technology um, that we call the Marishi effect, of the group practice of the TM and PM City program. And I look at the research and I look at the statistical significance and you look at a p-value of one in 10 million trillion. I think we just have to appreciate how we are living in an incredible time that this knowledge has been revived and, uh, scientifically, objectively validated, and that it is the solution to all the world's problems. And it just sounds, as said before, like a utopian dream, but it's been proven. And I think that the most important thing we can do is to share this information with as many people we can, get this information into the hands of those who have big spheres of influence and um, just work diligently. We're about to, to sign off. They're going to shut us oh, off. But I Sorry. deeply appreciate your comments and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be on your show, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you. And you've been listening to Kathy's Corner on WPKN 89.5 FM and streaming online at WPKN.org. And I appreciate your time and spending with us today as we talked about the value of unfolding the profound element of consciousness in your own life and affecting collective consciousness towards a a, a kinder, gentler, more peaceful world. Thank you.